And I want to receive what God has. Amen. If somebody would let the Sunday school kids know that they can come in. Amen. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 13. Hallelujah. When you have it, say amen. Amen. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Amen. Verse 15 says, He saith unto them, He didn't say it to Peter, He said to the general, the twelve disciples, He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon was the first to speak up. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And for a few moments this morning, I want to preach. Seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. Amen. Could you set your Bibles down? Could you stand with me? Can we, can we pray together as a church? And let's ask the Lord to talk to us today. Amen. Would you do that with me today? Would you stand to your feet? Would you lift your voice? Would you lift up your voice? And let's pray to the Lord right now. God, we love you. God, this church is lifting up their voices right now. God, I'm asking you to hear their prayers right now for this service. I'm asking you to hear the prayers of your people right now, Lord. Lord, to the person that says, I need something from God today. I'm asking you, Lord, to hear their prayers and to give them something from you, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, you would hear the prayers of your people in this place today, Lord. Have your way in this house. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen, you can be seated. Amen. One writer that I was studying for this message said it like this, and this might catch your attention, amen, if you're still awake, amen. We do not see with our eyes, he said. That statement, we do not see with our eyes, and everyone says, well... That may be true for you, but that's not true for me. He said we actually see with our brains. Our eyes are the lenses through which we see. And they transfer the image to our occipital lobe in the back of our brains. In conjunction with the frontal lobe, we then define the image as good or bad. We accept it or we reject it. And it can bring fear or it can bring peace to our minds, to our lives. We choose or decide what definition to give what we see. The brain chooses to give the definition to what we see and how to interpret it. 
The meaning is not always inherent in what we see. The meaning is not always inherent in what we see. I want you to hear that again. The meaning is not always inherent in what you see today. But it is in how you see it. Amen. For instance, amen, you can look at a service like today and you can uh, make some some pronouncements and say, well, they are struggling behind the pulpit today. So we're just going to sit back and allow them to struggle. Or you can say, you know what? In the midst of uh, whatever struggle I may perceive, I still can recognize that there is an opportunity at an altar, amen, where I can get a miracle from the Lord. Amen. I, I, I might see it one way, but if you see it the way that God sees it, amen, God can help you to give, uh, give you proper perspective to what you're seeing today. We choose to receive or reject what we see. Allowing it to make us fearful or to bring us peace. And when Jesus talks about our eye and we see this uh, particular story played out with Jesus and his disciples and and Peter that speaks out and and says immediately what he sees. Amen. When Jesus talks about our eye, he refers to the way that we perceive life's events. You see, because all of the Jewish people in Jesus' day, they saw the same thing that Peter saw. Amen. The the Jews in in Jesus' day, they saw Jesus turn the water to wine. They saw Jesus feed the 5,000. They saw Jesus touch Jairus' daughter. They saw Jesus heal the man at the pool of Bethesda. They saw Jesus raise Lazarus, and so did Peter. But still in their minds, they saw Jesus as just a man, another teacher that came from God. Just as another person that would grace the scene of this particular historical play in their lives. Amen. But Peter did not see it that way. Amen. There are people even in this church today that you see the same thing that I see today. But the way that we interpret it, amen, it makes all of the difference in the world. You can hear the teaching, amen, of the Brother Walmart so eloquently uh, put together this morning. And you can say, well, that was good teaching, Brother Walmart. I'm going to file that into the, uh, the, uh, the, the drawers of my mind, the, the files of my mind. And somebody else can say, wait a minute, Brother Walmart, you said that God would give the Holy Ghost. Do you think that God could give it to me on this Sunday morning? And could God do that amen, for me when you're talking about Brother Walmart? And somebody else could see it completely different. Somebody else, amen, sees it and says, that is the exact thing that I need in my life. We're all looking at the same thing today, but we're all seeing things a little bit differently today. Amen. I pray that uh, uh, in this service that God could remove the blinders and God could remove, amen, anything that prevents you from seeing Him in His fullness and that you might see, amen, not a man that's behind this pulpit, not not a group of musicians on the platform, but that you would see a gateway to the supernatural, that you could see a portal to your miracle today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He refers to the way that we perceive life's events. If we perceive them poorly, 
and negatively. They will adversely affect us emotionally as well as physically. Amen. If we perceive this poorly today and we say, well, you know, I don't agree with none of the things that they're saying or doing. Amen. They all got, they're all hypocrites and you can go down the line and start to look across the auditorium and start undressing people and say, well, look at that dress and look at their shirt and look at this. I don't believe nothing. We're all looking at the same thing today, but somewhere in this service today, I do believe, Brother Lorenzo, that there's a heart that's hungry that says that in spite of everything else, in spite of the obstacles, I want to touch him. I see him as he is today. Hallelujah. And how you see things will adversely affect you or it will be a great benefit to your life and how you perceive it. The eyes are the lens through which we see, but the brain is the thing that gives it definition and tells us how to react to what it is that is that that is being carried its direction. Depression isn't necessarily a sin, but we can indeed fall into sin by an inaccurate or a distorted perception of God. Sometimes our view of God is distorted. Sometimes we view the Lord the way that we view our earthly father and we see God and in spite of the preacher and the teacher that are up here and they're telling you about the Lord, you still see him as that dad that abandoned you. You still see him as that dad that abused you. You still see God as that dad that abused mom, that cheated on mom. You still see him as an absent father, not fully realizing and recognizing that that's not who God is. But God, as Brother Paul said, is a God of love that is reaching for somebody in this place today. He's reaching for somebody in this place today. The way we view our problem oftentimes is the problem. We've all got problems in one sense or another. But the way that we view our problems is sometimes that's the problem. We see our problem as a as a roadblock, as a uh, as a hindrance that there's no way to get around it. There's no way to get through it, and so we stop and we we build a we build a house and we we just set up camp and we say, well, I'm just going to live here in this particular place of defeat the rest of my life. I'm never going to go through this barrier, this roadblock. I'm just going to set up shop right here, and that's as far as I go. We've no doubt heard the story of the, uh, the, the mighty elephant in the uh, African safari, how they caught the elephant one day and they tied that elephant with the biggest, thickest, baddest chain they could around his ankle and to a, to a certain spot in the ground they put a big uh, metal stake in the ground and that elephant was tied, was chained to that particular place in the ground. And, and, and that elephant, he just kept trying to break free of that chain. And each time he did so, it damaged his skin. It damaged uh, his, uh, his, his ankle and it bloodied it and it bruised it and it messed it up until finally the elephant said, well, what's the use of trying? I'll just stay exactly where I am. And as the story goes, they took off that, that, that chain, that heavy, big, bad chain, and they just simply put a little bitty rope around his ankle. Just enough so he can feel that rope around his ankle. And, and the rest of his life, that elephant never moved from that spot because in his mind, he was defeated. In his mind, he said, this is as far as I can go. And he saw that problem as it always was and didn't realize that the, that the circumstances they had changed. 
place today. When you come to an apostolic church service like today, the circumstances change. There's a change. There's a shift in the environment. And that change's not there. And you can lift up holy hands unto God. And God can give you victory. And God can bring about the answer to your problems today. If our perception is poor, opportunities become terrifying. And invitations appear as threats. If our perception is poor. Opportunities become terrifying. We see ourselves as a loser sometimes. We see ourselves as we cannot make it. We cannot go forward. We're always going to be stuck with this big chain upon our, around our ankle. So we look at opportunity and we're, we're, we're so scared of stepping out because all we've known is that we're a loser. We're, we're defeated. We're broke. And we can't go nowhere. Amen. But God has shifted the environment today. And somebody gives an invitation and you interpret it as a threat because your perception is off today. And when God gives you the opportunity and God, the, the call goes out, the invitation goes out, come to an altar and reach out to God. Some of you, amen, may interpret that as I'm stepping out of my comfort zone and I might be rejected like I always was rejected. If I come to the altar and I make myself vulnerable and I lift up my hands, what if I'm rejected like my earthly father? What if he rejects me? What if he tells me I'm no good? What is the difference between an obstacle and an opportunity? You see, the Jewish people, they saw Jesus as an obstacle. Somebody that was... Not the Messiah. Maybe pretending to be, but he was an obstacle. And they had to get rid of him. The Sanhedrin and the Pharisees saw Jesus as an obstacle. They saw the same Jesus that everybody else saw, that the twelve disciples saw. They saw him do the same miracles. But they saw Jesus as a threat. They saw Jesus as an obstacle that had to be overcome. And they had to get rid of him. And everybody else, amen, it was the woman with the issue of blood, Sister Walmer, that he saw Jesus as an opportunity to be healed. He saw, she saw Jesus and she said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I can be made whole today. I know if I touch him, I will receive my healing. I will receive my deliverance. I will receive what I need from the Lord. Amen. They all saw him, but two people saw him differently from each other. Amen. The one person saw him as an obstacle. Somebody else saw him as an opportunity to receive healing and salvation and deliverance. Oftentimes, it's our attitude. Are we hungry enough? Every opportunity has a difficulty. As the woman with the issue of blood found out. That opportunity had a difficulty. But somebody else. Needed to realize for every. Every difficulty also has an opportunity. Whatever difficulty you're in this morning. There's an opportunity to get through it. To get over it. The fact is, where you stand will always affect what you see. 
Where you stand in relation to that object you're looking at, it, it affects the way that you see it. Brother Noah, he works for Jiffy Lube, right? And I went to visit him, and they did a fine job of selling me and all the good charges. Brother Miguel, I went there, and they sold me, I think, 100 bucks, and I was, I bit the, I took the, you know, hook, line, and sinker, as they say, right? Like, yeah, I think I guess I'll have that. Yeah, sure, I'll have that, too. I didn't know I needed that, but I guess I'll have that. And I walked out of there a hundred and some dollars later. Man, these guys are good. <laughs> but I was talking to Brother Noah. I said, so what do you do there? He's just starting out. He, they have a basement, apparently, at Jiffy Lube where they change oil. That's where they change oil and they, you know, they do different things. But they have a basement that they work. And Brother Noah works down that basement. He's starting at the bottom. The, the, the bottom. But he's not going to stay there, right, Brother Noah? He'll work his way up. And in that basement, you could have a beautiful Corvette come through. You could have a, a, uh, I don't know how fancy they might get there in cars, but you can have a beautiful Mercedes come through there or whatnot. Or you can have just just a common Ford Escort. And Brother Noah just sees the underbody. He's down in the basement. He's looking up. They all look the same to him, probably. There's probably a little bit minor details. They all look filthy and dirty, and they're all black on the bottom. And he may not know, hey, this is a privilege. I'm working on a beautiful 2019 Corvette. He might think he's working on a beautiful Corvette. He hops upstairs and finds out that's a, uh, that's a you know, a, I had a, we had a Pinto when we were kids. We had a Pinto. You, you might not know the difference. We got one back. Hey, you got Pintos, too? You might not know the difference, but it's the perspective. So Brother Noah can leave his job many days and say, man, that was a horrible day. I didn't do anything fun. All I did was see the underbody of cars. And the guy on top, the guy that's on the, on the regular level, said, that was so fun. I got to work on a Corvette. I got to work on this cool truck. And, and do you see the paint job? And Brother Noah said, they were all ugly to me. They both saw the same vehicle. But the, per, the, per, the perception that they had was different. They both saw the same vehicle, but where Brother Noah stood and where his, his co-worker stood made all of the difference. Where you are standing today makes the difference in how you see things. If you're, obse- if you're on the observation deck of a skyscraper, you will see the beautiful surrounding city. You say, wow, look at all that man has created. Look at all the things that have, uh, have been built through the, through the process of time with very uh, hard labor. Uh, and perhaps you even see the countryside beyond the city at the very top deck of the, uh, that skyscraper. You look out and see, wow, look at the beautiful city of Chicago. Wow, what a great city. Even the south side of Chicago looks great from the top of those places. But if you're standing at the bottom of a 10-foot trench in that same city of Chicago, all you see is the dirt, maybe a few worms, maybe a few rocks, and above you a narrow strip of sky. You're looking at the same thing, but where you're positioned today makes all the difference. My prayer is that as you have come into this place today, you would leave and say, I see Jesus a little bit differently, Sister Felicia, than I did before. I see him a little bit differently than I did before I came in. I don't see him as a hard God. 
I don't see him as a God that's waiting to, to beat me up over the head or a God that's going to reject me when I open up myself to him. But I see him as a God that truly does love me. I see him as a God that he is. And God is going to help me to get through the difficulties in my life. Because you see, it's in a place of prayer. We've talked about prayer for weeks on end. It's in a place of prayer. It's in a place of church service like today that you begin to catch a glimpse of God. And all of a sudden, you begin to see Him a little bit differently. And you see, wait a minute. Amen. It's not what I thought. It's not the way that I thought it was. Amen. But there is a God in heaven. His name is Jesus. He's one God. And He wants to save me from my sins. He wants to give me direction. He wants to help make me whole and heal me of every infirmity in my body. So how do you navigate your way out of this quagmire? Amen. Paul was a man of great confidence. And even in the midst of a storm that caused Paul to shipwreck and land on the shore. And when Paul landed on the shore, all of his, all of his fellow shipmates said, oh, we're going to die. But Paul said, we're not going to die. Because I've seen the plan that God has for me. And that plan is not over yet. Amen. You and I need to get to a place in prayer where we say, Sister Gina, I saw exactly where God wants to take me. I know exactly what God wants to do in my life. And this is not where I die. This is not where the road stops. But I'm going forward. And that will cause you, amen, just like the Apostle Paul, when he shipwrecked on that coast, and they begin to make a fire, and out of the fire, amen, to add insult to injury, amen, a snake jumped out of the fire and bit him, and Paul grabbed that serpent and tossed it aside and said, that can't stop me either, amen, nothing will stop me, because I know the God that I serve, I know where I'm going, I know who I am, and I know what I'm doing in Him. Hallelujah. And you've got to have that understanding today. We've got to understand. Yes, Brother Walmer, we're in a fight. Yes, Brother Walmer, amen, it's spiritual battle. And it requires all of the church, amen, to do. I like that story you told earlier about Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were coming to church at the hour of prayer. They weren't coming to church to get prayed up. Like many of us do. I better go to church because I haven't prayed all week. I need to get prayed up. They came to church to stay prayed up. On their way to the church. How many in this place, don't lift up your hand, I don't want to see it. How many in this place can say, you know what? When I walked to the front door, I was already full of the Holy Ghost. When I walked to the front door of that church, I was already full of the Holy Ghost. Like like, like, the, like the disciples, like those two disciples. Amen. I walked in and I was full of the Holy Ghost. Paul and Simon. Amen. Amen. Uh, I forget the exact disciples' names, but they came to church on that, on that day of prayer. And they walked in full of the Holy Ghost. And that is the reason why they could say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. Amen to somebody else. Amen. That may have come in. Somebody may have carried somebody else to church today. Amen. You've got to make up in your mind. I will not be carried all the time to church. I will not allow somebody else 
to constantly carry me on their back and just pray for me to get through another day, another week. But I'm going to be like those disciples. I'm going to stay prayed up. I'm going to live prayed up. And I'm going to let it pour out of my life into somebody else. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Faith. Faith. Say that with me today. Faith. Faith is living in advance what we will only understand in reverse. It's living in that completed state of being and being able to, in your mind, look back and say, yeah, that's where I once was, but this is where God is taking me. This is where I need to be. That's what faith is. Faith is seeing the completed end of a thing and saying, I'm going to get there. Faith is saying, you know what, uh, Brother Walmer, you said the Holy Ghost could... God to give the Holy Ghost. Faith's got to step out and say, I'm going to get down to that altar. Or I'm going to lift up my hands where I am. And I'm going to simply believe God to give me the baptism of the Holy Ghost for speaking in tongues. It's for me. It's for you. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The book of Mark chapter number 8. If you turn your Bibles, Mark chapter number 8. And verse number 22. And he came to, he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. The first thing that Jesus did was he spit on his eyes. Pretty harsh. Corday, don't let no one spit in your face. Except Jesus. Because he has something he's working out. This man came to Jesus. God grabbed him by the hand. Led him out of the town. And then he proceeded to spit in this guy's face. He spit in his eyes. He just hawked a big loogie. I won't do it for you. Make sure you all wait. Big as he could, just spit right there in his eyes. Of course, that guy couldn't see, so it didn't bother him probably too much. Probably, I don't know if he proceeded to wipe it away, but the Bible says that after Jesus spit on his, on his eyes, Jesus put his hands upon him, and he touched him. And something happened in that moment. When Jesus put his hands upon that blind man. Something can happen today if you allow God to put his hands upon your life. And if you allow God to keep his hand upon your life. And say, you know what? I, I, I just want the hand of God to stay upon my life, Sister Gina. Just let his hand stay upon my life. But verse 24 records the response of the blind man. It says, and he looked up. And said, I see men as trees walking. Someone said, what is that? He couldn't see that clearly. He, he couldn't see very clearly. God touched him the first time. But he needed a second touch of God upon his life. He said, I see men as trees walking. They, they, I see people walking, but they look like trees. It's, it's all fuzzy to me. I can't quite. 
God, who exactly is this walking? I just see a bunch of trees moving down the street, and I, and I don't really understand what I'm seeing. And then the Bible says, and after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. Amen. When we see things dimly, amen, it, it invites depression, which can be defined as a perceived inability to reconstruct your future. Amen. But when we see things clearly, amen, we have understanding and we can see the complete picture and we see things the way God sees them. Amen. Some will say, well, you know, God touched me. God revealed himself to me. And we thank God for what God has begun in your life. Just like God began a work in this blind man's life and yet he still was not whole. Yet he still could not see clearly. Amen. I want to build upon what you bring into this place today. And I want to build upon some past experiences. You said I went to a church down the road and they told me X, Y, and Z. Amen. How to get closer to God. And they said that if I did this, amen, God would move in my life. And I read the scriptures a little bit differently from the way that the preachers read them today. Amen. But I want to tell you, if you will allow God to touch you one more time, if you will allow God to extend his hand upon you one more time, amen, it doesn't mean that God didn't touch the blind man the first time. But sometimes we need God to come back around again and touch us all over again. Amen. We've got too many people in this church today that they're satisfied with the one-touch Jesus. They're satisfied with the one-touch Jesus. And they said, well, God, you touched me back in 1992. You touched me back in 2009. Amen. I want to tell you, you need a brand new touch of the Holy Ghost in your life. Let's clap our hands and worship Him today. Hallelujah. Too many of us are stuck between the first and the second touch of Jesus. And we think, well, I, I have an understanding. I think I got what's going on around here. I think I know what's happening. Amen. And you're stuck with the first touch of Jesus. And God says, I want to touch you all over again. I want to move in your life. Amen. Not when you're going to see things fuzzy. Not when you're going to see things as you originally saw them, Brother Josh. But I want you to see them the way that I see them, Brother Joe. I want you to see things, amen, with the eyes of understanding, with the revelation, with insight. I want a brand new touch of the Holy Ghost upon my life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we love you in this place. God, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your power, Lord. We're asking you right now, Lord, to touch every heart, to touch every life, God, to reveal yourself more clearly to somebody in this place today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Sometimes, amen, we see the church as a base in the proverbial game of tag, amen, where we can just, if somebody's chasing us and things are not going right, we run to church and we tag base and we tell the devil, safe, you can't touch. 
touch me. And then the devil says, okay, that's fine. And then the devil walks away and then we walk away from church. Because we see church only as a base in a game of tag. And God says that's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where you live. It's supposed to be a place where you find yourself. It's supposed to be a place where you stay and you receive healing. It's not a place. Uh, it's not a base in a game of tag. Amen. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, all the days of my life, and behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his sanctuary. I want that to be the way I see it. The church house is not a place you can come once in a while and say, well, I just wanted to ease my conscience a little bit. So I'm going to show up to church and if I lift my hands and I feel the Lord, I'll know, hey, everything's okay. I can keep doing what I'm doing. He still loves me. Praise God. That's not what the church is. We're all seeing the church, but some of us are seeing it differently. And, and we even look at things in the church, in a typical church service, and we see it differently than the way that God wants us to see it. Some of us, we look at an altar call, and we, see that we think that the altar call is an award ceremony for the preacher. If the preacher does a good job with the longer, and I'm impressed, I'll reward him and I'll come down the altar and I'll lift up my hands. And I'll give him a trophy. Instead of seeing the altar call as a place that I've got to run to every service. There are so many times in my life, I, 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 I can't tell you how many times, it's probably been only all the time that altar calls get it. And I am going to the altar. I am going to touch God. We went to visit First Church of San Jose last Sunday. Amen. We had had a good time at church here. Amen. We had the privilege of baptizing Corday. Corday, wave your hand. Let him see you. Amen. We love Corday. Amen. He said he felt light, brand new. He felt clean. Amen. God did work in his life. We had a good time at church. But you know what? We went to service on Sunday night. And I didn't say, well, you know, he's not preaching to me. You know, I pray. Read my Bible. Yeah, you know, I don't need that. Somebody else. No. I didn't even look at it and say, well, you know what? Yeah, he did a good job, so I better reward the preacher and come down to the altar call. No. I want to touch God every chance I get. I want to touch God every chance I get. And if the altar call is given, I'm not looking at it as, a, as an award ceremony for a preacher. If he did a good job, I'll come down. If he did a bad job, I'll stay in the back. I'll stay where I'm sitting. But I'm going to get down to the altar, and I'm going to reach out to God and say, God, I just want to know you better. God, I just want you to fill me up. I just want you to help me today. And when I get down to the altar, if I came to church, pray up. If I came to church, pray up. And fast up. I can get down to an altar. Amen. I came full of the Holy Ghost. God, who can I minister to an altar? Wouldn't it be beautiful if we had a just an expansive altar working team? People that just say, you know what, Pastor, I'm down the altar. I want more of God. But I also want to see if I can be a blessing to someone else's altar because I prayed up. I prayed through. I'm not looking to get prayed, prayed through every time I come to the altar. 
But I, I'm looking at that altar call and I'm seeing that's where I can I can really get something deeper from God. Perhaps if I if I get to that altar and I lift up my hands and I reach out to God, perhaps Amen, somebody will come and lay hands on me and I'll receive strength and healing and maybe even a word of direction. I'm not seeing the altar call, amen, as, a, as an awards ceremony, but I'm seeing as a portal. I'm seeing as a place where I can connect with God. We're all seeing the same things today, folks. We're all seeing things. We're seeing the same thing this morning. But we're not seeing the same thing. Some of us are perceiving it differently. Sometimes we look at the preaching... And we interpret that preaching. We say, well, that preaching is not for me. No, that's for that guy. I know who that's for. That's for that guy over there. So I'll just sit back because he's not preaching to me. But if we see the preaching as the inner workings of reproductivity in a church, if we see the preaching as, you know, if I'll preach with the preacher, and I'll amen the preacher, and I'll shout hallelujah, I'll shout preach it, I'll... Whatever, I'll, I'll interact. I'll engage with the preacher. We can get some back and forth action happening in this service tonight. If, if I can see that the preaching as, as a reproductive process of, of back and forth. And, I, and the preacher preaches and I, and I throw it back to him with an amen or, or a hallelujah. And we get to going back and forth. Suddenly, in the midst of that activity, there can be a birth that happens in an altar service or in the middle of a service. We're both, we're all seeing the same thing today. We're all hearing the preacher preach. But some of us are thinking, well, that's just something that pastor has got to get off his chest. And they're thinking, well, I wonder what would happen if I begin to engage and interact with the pastor. And I preach with him. And Brother Walmer was here preaching. And I said, preach your pastor. Preach your Brother Walmer. Preach your Brother Paul. Preach your bishop. Whoever it would be. And we get a back and forth action going. And suddenly the back and forth action. There's reproduction that happens. That is the will of God for this service. That I would preach. You would preach back to me. You would throw it back to me. And the altar goes given. And everybody runs to the altar. And says I want to connect to God. I want God's will. In earth as it is in heaven. I want the will of God. For my life. And for this service. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Back to the main. Key text. Where Peter says. Thou art Christ. The son of the living God. Peter had a revelation. And it was upon that rock of revelation. That Jesus said I'll build my church. It wasn't upon Peter himself where some churches get off and said, well, Peter's that first leader. We're going to follow Peter. No. Peter had that rock of revelation, who he was. And when you get an understanding of who he is in your life, you too will run to an altar. You too will say, you know what? I, I got to get involved. And that revelation of being able to see Jesus for who he was allowed Peter to, to have a greater level of access to the power that Jesus wanted to give him. But not to him only, 
but to all them that believe on Him. That understanding, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do, you, who do men say that I am? They said, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elias, Jeremiah, the prophet. And Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, I see you, God, not as another man, but I see you as the Messiah. You are the one that they foretold about. You are the one that the prophets prophesied about. You are the one. You are God in the flesh. You are God. I'm not looking at a, at a uh, fictitious representation uh, of a second person of the God. I'm looking when I see Jesus. And Peter understood this. When I'm seeing Jesus, I'm seeing God manifest in the flesh. I'm not seeing Jesus as a second person of a triune God, but I'm seeing Jesus. And Peter said, I'm looking at God himself. Amen. God enrolled himself in flesh. And that is the revelation. When you have a proper uh, perspective and and you're looking at things in the right manner, in the right way, it it gives you access to a greater level of power because you see the altar call, not as an award ceremony, but you see the altar call as a portal to touching heaven. And so when I get to the altar and I lift up my hands, amen, I'm feeding to power from on high. And God's touching me and God's speaking to me. And God's moving in my life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you stand with me today as I close? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thomas Carlyle, he wrote the book that's called the history of the French Revolution by hand. By hand. Thomas Carlyle wrote the history of the French Revolution by hand. This is before computers and even before typewriters had existed. After three years, someone say three years. That's a long time. Three years of writing and lengthy research. He had a 1,500-page manuscript. He gave his finished work to John Stuart Mills to edit and to proofread his work. Mills took the manuscript that was given to him by Thomas Carlyle and he put it in a basket so he could work on it in the evenings by firelight. And while Mills was on a trip his maid saw the stack of paper and thought it was there to help start the fire. The entire manuscript, 1,500 pages, was destroyed by the time that John Stuart Mills returned. When Thomas Carlyle found out about this, he went into a deep depression. He drew the blinds on his house and he refused to eat. He had worked for three years to produce this 1,500 page manuscript. After a couple of weeks, he opened one of the blinds in his house and across the street he looked. And across the street he saw a man working on a brick wall that had broken down in front of an old church. 
And for three weeks, eight hours a day, it looked, for three weeks, eight hours a day, Carlisle watched the man rebuild that wall one brick at a time. And when the wall was rebuilt, it had looked just as good as new. And Thomas Carlisle said, if he can rebuild that wall brick by brick, then I can rebuild my manuscript page by page. And he began to write again. And within two years, the story shows us that he finished that 1,500-page manuscript. If you have lost something that is valuable, you know, maybe there's someone in this place that you, you had a one time a walk with God that was on fire for God. You had a walk with God that was second to none. And people looked at you and said, I want to be like that person. I want to be like that individual. And you say, well, you know what? It's been a long time. I don't know if I have what it takes. It took me years to get where I was. It took me years to do what I, what I did. You may have to start all over again. But you begin with your original calling. And you begin with that end in mind that says, Brother Pinto, I know where God wants to take me. I know exactly where God wants to take me. I know what God wants to do in my life. And I'll not let the devil beat me down and discourage me and depress me and say, I'm never going to get there. I'm going to do it one brick at a time if I've got to. And you begin with the original plan for your life that you got in a service like today. You say, God... I know what you want for my life. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to people today that God's called some of you into ministry to do things for God. You filed that away in the recesses of your mind. You say, well, that was a long time ago, Pastor. Surely God doesn't still mean that. Yeah, God still means that. You go back to the original calling that God put upon your life as a young girl, as a young boy. However long ago it was, you say, God, do you think, God, that you could still do that with my life? Instead of seeing your life as an obstacle and, and, and all the obstacles in your life, you begin to look at for some opportunities. People say, well, you know, you, you don't have what it takes. You're not where you need to be. Allow God to help you see what he sees when he looks at your life. Don't see your life as a failure, as a miserable mess that it is right now. See it, you know what? Where does God want me to be? What can God do with my life? I, people may look at your life and say, you're an alcoholic, you're a drug addict, you're, you're a, an adulterer, you're a cheater, you, you're inconsistent, you're this and you're that, you don't have what it takes. Instead of saying, God, help me to see that finished product in my life. Help me if I've got to, to rebuild it one brick at a time, God. Whatever it takes, God, help me to rebuild that today. Amen. I'd like us to come to this altar. I'd like us to conclude this service at an altar today. And I'd like us to just simply come as a church. Amen. If, if you would come, amen, would you lift up your hands to the Lord today? And would you just reach out to God for a few